Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled The Clinical Implications of Current Treatment Options for Von Hippel-Lindau Disease. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Merck and Company. Hi, I'm Dr. Eric Yonesh. I'm a professor of medicine at MD Anderson Cancer Center. And today we're going to be talking about unmet needs for individuals with von Hippel-Lindau disease. It's pretty clear that at this point in time, with multiple surgeries and lifelong surveillance, we need to improve treatment for this group of individuals. Systemic therapies and improvement in systemic therapies would be one way to do so. Real cell carcinomas and hemangiblastomas are the leading cause of death in individuals with von Hippel-Lindau disease. And each of these will affect over 40% of those living with VHL disease. And there's some controversy as to what the median survival is, but there are reports of it being around 50 years. It's probably going up now with improvements of therapy. We use the three centimeter rule for the management of VHL-related renal cell carcinomas. This is based on research that was performed in the 90s demonstrating that individuals who have renal cell carcinomas less than three centimeter in size have a very low probability of developing metastases. As these tumors exceed three centimeters, that will increase, I'd say that up to 25% of individuals will develop metastatic disease. Bear in mind that these individuals have multifocal bilateral tumors. We have to manage all of these at the same time and decrease the probability of developing renal insufficiency with the multiple procedures that are required. Survival-free recurrence following nephron-sparing surgery varies from study to study, but we do see in some studies that individuals are going to have a fairly high probability of developing the need for further interventions, either with new lesions or recurrence in existing lesions if they undergo surgical intervention. In, for example, the clinical trial that we recently did, where we tested individuals on belazudafen, around three quarters of them had actually undergone biosurgery with renal cell carcinoma. This is very typical for this patient population. So in summary, a VHL-associated RCC is a major cause of morbidity and can be associated with mortality in patients with VHL disease. Hemangioblastomas are also a major cause of morbidity. Surgical intervention for renal cell carcinomas with partial nephrectomy and ablative techniques has been standard of care, but these individuals have to undergo repeated surgeries as they will develop new lesions. In the next session, we're going to talk about guideline-recommended treatment options for the management of VHL disease. In this session, we're going to talk about guideline-recommended treatment options for managing VHL disease. Obviously, we're dealing with pleiotropic disease. We have renal cell carcinomas. We have pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. We have hemangioblastomas. We're going to be focusing a little bit more on the renal cell carcinomas here as some of the guidelines, including the NCCN guidelines, have really been focusing on these. At this point in time, guidelines will recommend management of local renal masses in patients with VHL under the three centimeter rule. The idea is that we perform procedures when necessary, knowing that individuals are going to have to undergo multiple procedures in their lifetimes. We want to minimize the probability of developing metastatic disease, but we want to maximize renal function and also minimize morbidity from surgery. In terms of other treatment options for individuals with renal cell carcinoma-associated VHL disease, and this again applies to all of the organ manifestations, in the NCCN guidelines, preferred regimen is belzutifen, and useful under certain circumstances is pizopinib. 
treatment recommendation for pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors and hemangioblastomas, as previously mentioned, are similar in nature. So VHL-related pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors, depending on which study you read, either a cutoff of two centimeters in the head or three centimeters in the body, or a combination of size plus the rate of growth will guide intervention in these pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. These can metastasize and have to be watched closely. Hemangioblastomas end up being guided predominantly by symptoms as well as to a lesser degree by size. If individuals look like they're about to develop threatening lesions and or start developing symptoms, that's typically when the neurosurgery team will intervene. The reason that we don't do things earlier is again because of the multitude of lesions that can develop. And if you were to go after each one of them, you would have substantial morbidity from a large number of surgeries. What's clear from this is that a multidisciplinary approach is really critical. We need to have medical oncologists, surgeons, urologists, endocrine experts all involved in the care of these individuals. So in summary, management of VHL disease requires a multidisciplinary team. We need to have lesion-specific interventions as the need arises. And obviously inferred in that is regular imaging to follow up. Decisions for performing interventions is based on lesion size and risk of organ damage. And there are now some systemic therapy options available that might be appropriate in certain individuals with VHL disease. In our next section, we're going to dive into the clinical implications of the efficacy data for systemic therapy for VHL-related lesions in a bit more depth. So in this session, we're going to be talking about the efficacy of current treatment options for VHL disease. It's clear looking at historical data that recurrence of VHL-associated RCCs as well as hemangioblastomas and pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors is high. Although surgical interventions or ablative interventions can take care of the individual lesions, the probability of developing new lesions and sometimes redevelopment of lesions in the prior sites of intervention are quite high. This results in individuals having to undergo quite a few procedures. Coming up with an approach that will reduce the need for surgical interventions would really help these patients. Belzutifan, HIF2-alpha inhibitor, was FDA approved for patients with VHL-associated RCC pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors and hemangioblastomas in August of 2021. If we look at the data in the 61-patient study, we can see that the primary endpoint, which was objective response rate in VHL-associated RCC, initially was 49% with no progressors as best response. Further update of these data at ESMO this year demonstrate that the objective response rate has actually increased already to 64%. In terms of progressive disease as best response, there were no individuals that were upfront progressors. We do see with three and a half years follow-up that there are some individuals that have started to progress, but they're still less than equal to 10% of the entire population. So the durability response with Belzutifen is quite high. Similar data have been seen in non-renal cell carcinoma manifestations for VHL disease. Pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors had an astounding 91% objective response rate, and this remains pretty similar at the 38-month follow-up. Central nervous system hemangioblastomas, 30% objective response rate, rising into the low 40s at the 38-month follow-up. If you look at tumor reduction procedures, for patients with VHL disease prior to initiation and after initiating therapy, there's only three interventions with about two-year follow-up compared to about 20 per year across the patient population. With the current follow-up, slight increase in the number of procedures, but still far less than what these individuals are undergoing prior to the initiation of bilzutifen. 
pizopinib was looked at in VHL disease, we saw objective response rates of 52% in the kidney, 4% in the CNS, and 53% in the pancreas. This is a somewhat more toxic agent as we're going to be talking about in a subsequent section. In summary, belzutifan has been shown to be active in VHL-related RCC hemangioblastomas and pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. Pizopinib also induces reduction in VHL-associated RCC lesions, pancreatic lesions, and to a lesser degree, hemangioblastomas, but this is not currently FDA-approved. So in our next section, we're going to talk about safety of the current treatment options for VHL disease. In this session, we're going to talk about safety of the current treatment options for VHL disease. Looking at some of the major limitations of surgery, we do see that surgery obviously has perioperative complications like bleeding, urinary fistula, radiofrequency ablation can result in fever, infections, hematomas. So surgical interventions are certainly not benign in any way, shape, or form. And there's overall long-term additive trauma to the organ as well as to the individual with these multiple surgeries. With systemic therapy options now becoming available, let's focus on Belzutifen's toxicity profiles. There's three areas that I want to highlight. First is anemia, which is an on-target effect. This is because EPO or erythropoietin is a HIP2-alpha client gene. And we almost expect this and the majority of individuals will have some drop of hemoglobin. Fatigue, which is sort of accumulation of the various things that patients are experiencing with this drug, as well as hypoxia, which is relatively rare, but it's an important thing to highlight. Pazopinib, not FDA approved, but we do have extensive experience with this in patients with VHL disease, has fatigue, transaminitis, hypertension, nausea, dysthusia, proteinuria as some of the major side effects hair color change, which is very important for younger individuals we're treating. And it's overall an agent that definitely is associated with, with some challenges in a subset of individuals. I'd like to summarize that bilzutifen can cause a number of side effects. Pizopinib can induce fatigue, transaminitis, diarrhea, hypertension, nausea. Taking a, a proactive approach is the best thing to do here. In our next section, we're going to talk about how we're going to manage adverse events arising from the current treatment options for VHL disease. In this session, we're going to talk about adverse events arising for current treatment options for VHL disease. Obviously, surgical and ablative interventions, careful follow-up with the surgical team, reoperation or watching and waiting, treatment of infections as they arise, management of hemorrhage are all very, very important. For belzutifen, the major side effects that we deal with are anemia, hypoxia, and fatigue. We see that the majority of individuals will develop anemia, but there is a subgroup of individuals that do require intervention. The package insert will recommend withholding the drug until the hemoglobin exceeds nine and then resuming at a reduced dosage. In clinical practice, I have been using erythropoietin stimulating agents, and these are quite effective because we're simply replacing that which we are depleting with the agent. We typically will initiate this when patients go below 10 or sometimes below nine we will not continue these if patients exceed hemoglobin of 10. Hypoxia, I tell patients to get a pulse oximeter. We definitely want to keep the oxygen saturation above 90%. The other thing is pregnancy and avoiding pregnancy. This is clearly lethal to fetuses. Any sort of family planning is critical for young couples where there's an individual in the couple living with VHL. 
Pazopinib, we have fairly typical TKI side effects that has to be watched very, very closely. Typically, individuals who progress on pazopinib are the ones that develop these. So if they are progressors, they should come off and potentially undergo surgical intervention for these lesions. Hypertension, the transaminitis are things that we really are also watching. And a significant percentage of individuals have to stop this drug because of the transaminitis. So in summary, VHL disease can induce lesions in the kidney, pancreas, and CNS. Multidisciplinary management is essential. Surgical and ablative intervention standard of care until recently. We now have bilzudafan as an FDA-approved agent for the treatment of VHL disease-related RCC, pancreatic neuroendocrineurs, and hemangioblastomas. Pazopinib is an alternative, not FDA-approved. Definitely has helped some individuals with this, but probably a less attractive option compared to bilzudafan. And it's critical that careful attention needs to be paid to side effects. And this is ultimately going to improve the quality and potentially quantity of life of individuals with VHL disease. Thank you very much and hope this helped you manage individuals with this rare and devastating disease. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.